Well, we're in a series called Waypoints, and we're looking at the miracles of Jesus that are recorded by the Apostle John in his biography of Jesus. Um, John records these very specific signs or miracles that Jesus performs. He performed all sorts of miracles, um, but, but John picks very specific ones and he picks certain ones for a reason. And, and he's drawing us someplace in particular. He's showing us things about Jesus. He's showing us who Jesus isn't. Um, he's clarifying what Jesus isn't about, what he's not establishing. Um, and he's also showing us what Jesus is trying to bring to humanity. And ultimately what he's also doing is trying to show us the relevance of who Jesus is, how that connects with us, and then um, trying to get us to come to a place of making a decision about who he is. Um, now, I've been really amazed over the past several weeks uh, of how what we planned a couple of months ago has sort of aligned with what's happening in our world right now. Um, and then again, I don't know why I would be amazed um, because that's just like Jesus to do something like that. But, um, but this week, um, this week is so incredibly relevant to where we're going. In fact, um, I, there was part of me that just thought this is almost too obvious. I can't go here, but I have to go here because it speaks so specifically to where we are living right now. And I'm just gonna say this up front. This is gonna be really challenging for some of you. I know you're gonna hear some of this and this is gonna cause you to ask some questions. That's okay for you to ask questions. You can ask questions in moments like this. Um, but I also believe that this is gonna breathe some life into these specific circumstances and maybe even bring some meaning to some things that you're finding meaningless at the moment. And so I just wanna, I wanna warn you with that. But I wanna start this, before I dive into the passage today, I wanna start with something really personal and just share um, some thoughts that have been in my own heart. Um, I was driving the other day and uh, I needed to run to my office. And as I was pulling out of my neighborhood, you know, the streets are dead and there's nobody around. And um, just as I was looking out, the heaviness of this pandemic, it just sort of fell on me. It was like the, the moment that all of this stuff and all the implications and everything just, just sort of fell like a weight on my shoulders. And I started thinking about the future and I started thinking about the impact of this. And I, I, I was thinking about, um, just, you know, how uncomfortable things are going to be. And for how long I started wondering, like, how long is this going to go on? And, and, and it just, I just realized, like, we're, we're in some hard times. And so I was wrestling with this feeling and wrestling with just the reality of this. And I mean, I'm going to confess to you, I, I, I don't like it. There's not a part of me that's saying this is really fun. But, but right then there was this thought that hit me. And, and I realized as I was driving that every great man or woman of God that I respect, everyone that in history, the heroes of the faith that I look at, they've lived through and their faith has been a hallmark for them um, during difficult times. They've lived through hardship. In, in fact, some of the greatest heroes of the faith are people who lived through some of the most horrific circumstances. And so I just started thinking about that. I started thinking about this reality that here I am, like I wanna be a person of faith and I want my faith to grow. And, and, and I'm facing hardship and yet um, I'm responding, like rejecting this. And I suddenly realized that maybe God wants to do this. Maybe God wants to use this in my life and in your life. And maybe this is the time in which my faith grows um, like those people's faith grew. And so that brought up a question that doesn't just um, relate to our existing situation. I think it relates and, and is connected to exactly the, the miracle that John is recording in his gospel today. And here's the question I wanna share with you and, and, and just ponder this for a moment, but here it is. How is it possible that our faith grows in some of the worst times? Why is that? How is it possible when we look back on history, the comment that I just made, we look back even at our, at our own lives, why is it that sometimes in the most difficult times, our faith grows? I, I, all the time I talk to people who, when they talk about their story or they share a particular season they walked through, 
when it was difficult, they'll often say, you know, even though it was hard, I wouldn't trade it for the world because of what I learned and how I grew in my faith. Even when I look at my own story, there are things that I never want to repeat in my own story. And yet at the same time, I wouldn't trade those things because of what God taught me during those things. Um, It reminds me of something that C.S. Lewis said, and, and I think this is so powerful in this moment. He said this, he said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Um, you, you, know, you know, for some of you, maybe you're a little more skeptical and, and you think, well, how can God like let those kinds of things happen? How can bad things happen to good people? Um, maybe this sounds like a cop-out to you and you say like God's backed into a corner. And, and so you're saying this, you're saying God uses it like a megaphone because there's really no way out. But But here's the deal. There is an undeniable correlation or relationship between the unexpected, the unwanted circumstances of our life and the growth of our faith. Um, In fact, James, the brother of Jesus, who's at the epicenter of all the things that we we claim to in in Christianity that we draw our faith from, James, um, what he wrote, he wrote not because God was backed into a corner, but he just wrote this because it was a truth. He was writing not because there was a pandemic in Jerusalem. He was just writing this because this was life. He said this in, in his letter, James chapter 1, verse 2. He said, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith, the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Testing of your faith. Well, what James is doing is he's making a connection between the trials that you and I experience, the difficulties that we walk through and the experience of our faith. Our faith, there's a relationship between these things. The testing of your faith, James says, produces perseverance. In other words, he's saying it's not accidental that people face difficult things. And it's not accidental that in those things, in those circumstances, our faith can begin to grow. And so before we dive into the miracle today, I want to give you a principle from this that I just want you to hold on to and then carry this through the text. And I want you to think about this, but I want you to think about this principle that every circumstance that you face, every circumstance that you face is an opportunity for God to grow your faith. Every circumstance you face is an opportunity for God to grow your faith. Um, In fact, I would say this, the very circumstances that have the power to turn us away from God oftentimes also have the power to draw us closer to God. And and the best illustration of this is what we see in in John chapter 11. So I want you to open your Bible to John 11. Uh, If you don't have your Bible open or with you right now, you can just look on the screen. The words are gonna pop up there. But I also wanna give you a warning. And that is that this story, given our current circumstances, this might be a little bit uncomfortable. Um, this, this could push you in some ways and it might cause you to question some things a little bit. And in fact, when we are done, you might have more questions than when we started, but that's okay for us to be there. But I just want you to listen to this story with this new grid, this new principle that every circumstance is an opportunity for God to grow your faith. I want you to listen to this and we're just gonna walk through the verses. We're gonna walk through the story starting in verse one. And this is what it says. It says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister, Martha. Now, let me just tell you um, that these three people are are really close friends of Jesus. Uh, Jesus has eaten in their home. They've traveled with them. 
Uh, there's all sorts of relational connections between them. So this is, this is who we're dealing with here. And then we read this in verse three. It says, so the sisters sent word to Jesus because Lazarus is sick. They said, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, I sort of love the drama of this in the moment because they say the Lord, like to the Lord, they say the one you love is sick. They don't say Lazarus is sick. They just simply say the one you love is sick. Like they know the moment that Jesus hears the one he loves he's gonna know this is Lazarus. There's that kind of intimacy, that kind of relationship between these people. So I want you to catch this, that Jesus has healed all sorts of people. Um, We've even seen this in this series. He's healed strangers. He's actually healed people that um, he didn't even see personally up in front of him. He healed them from a distance. So of course, when Lazarus becomes sick and it's apparent that there is a life-threatening illness of course, these friends of Jesus would call him and say, you need to come to us. Of course they would do this. And this is where the story might mess with you just a little bit. Because in verse four, it says this, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory. And I just want you to wrestle a little bit with what he's doing here. And I don't know if you see what he's doing here, but what Jesus says in this moment actually creates a new category for us. And this is a category that says that a situation or a circumstance in your life can actually be leveraged for God's glory. Um, Let me just also say this. There's a part of me that doesn't really like this. I don't really like there to be a category like this. Um, I don't like it when there's negative things that could happen that bring God's glory. I like the other kind of glory. Uh, I like the kind of glory when, you know, you run a relay race and you're the anchor of the relay and you win the gold medal. And as you cross the finish line, you know, you hold your finger up and point to heaven and say, I just give God all the glory. I like that kind of situation where we give God the glory that way. I I like to give God glory when things have gone really, really well. But Jesus says to us in this moment, he's sort of saying, well, that's nice. I'm glad that you like that. But there's also situations where things aren't going well and yet God is going to receive glory in those moments. And so he continues on, verse four, he says, no, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. And then verse five is really interesting. It says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So so John's actually taking a moment to pause and say, I want you to understand that what Jesus said is not because he doesn't love these people. Jesus loved them. This isn't some family he just met one day in passing. This is something about a relationship that goes beyond that. So verse six, it says, yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. This is fascinating to me because Jesus does exactly the opposite of what you think Jesus would do. Uh, In fact, let me just say this. I think one of the reasons that Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, why they're actual historical documents that record the life of Jesus is stories like this one. because if you were writing fiction, if you were writing something and you were trying to convince people to love and follow the teachings of Jesus, you wouldn't write this kind of stuff into it because everything about this is wrong. Everything about this is frustrating. Everything about this is almost infuriating. Jesus gets word, not that some random person that he's never met is ill, but that somebody he loves, Lazarus, is sick. And Jesus basically says, well, thank you for that information. 
And then he sits back down and he waits for two days. He doesn't do anything. I think that's where the story starts to get traction in our lives because my guess is you felt this way at times. You felt like there were moments when like you, you know um, you have a relationship with Jesus. You know that you have a, a faith in God that's robust and maybe you've entered into circumstances that are trying and you've gone to God and you've said, would you do something about this? Would you solve this? And it's just, you're sort of left to sit in the silence. You know, there's times when you've said, God, help me, give me the job or, you know, answer this prayer or, you know, heal this person or, or whatever it is. And, and you plead with God and it's just nothing. So verse seven says this, it says, then, then after two days, after, after two days of doing nothing, two days while Mary and Martha are suffering, two days while Lazarus is, is just creeping closer and closer to death, Two days, Jesus says, let's go back to Judea. After two days. Now, let me just explain that what happens next is explained because there were some problems when they were in Judea. We've seen that in this series, that, that there was some confrontation that had happened. And so the disciples in this moment, they just they sort of assume that Jesus has gotten forgetful and they're gonna remind Jesus of the things he tends to forget, like being persecuted by the religious establishment. And so in verse eight, they go to remind Jesus and they say, but Rabbi, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you and yet you're going back there? Like they begin to question him. Like, why would you go back? I mean, they're gonna stone you. And since we're your followers, they're probably gonna stone us too. And so there's this question, like, do you not remember what happened last time? Do you remember, like, in fact, I think there's probably a part of them that remembers that man from earlier on in this series who was asking for his child to be healed from a distance and Jesus does that. They're probably thinking, maybe you could do that again. Maybe you could just like snap your fingers or we could all stand in a circle and we could hold hands and sing Kumbaya and you could just do this thing for Lazarus from here. But Jesus in this moment, while they're trying to talk him out of it, he gives them a little lesson. And it might sound confusing, but it'll make sense towards the end. He says this in verse 11. It says, after he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm, not going, but I'm going there to wake him up. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. I love the logic of the disciples in this moment. They're basically saying, you know what? He's got a fever, let him sleep. Sleep's good, you know? Give him a couple of Tylenol, let him sleep this thing off. He's resting calmly. And so they say this to Jesus, let him keep sleeping, let him get his rest. And then in verse 13, it says, Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. And so then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. I just, I imagine this moment for the disciples when they're sitting there and they're saying, well, no, we need to let him sleep. And Jesus says, no, no, you don't understand. He's dead. And I just sort of imagine how confusing this would have been for them to think, here's somebody that you love and word was sent for you to come to him and you waited for two days and now you're telling us that he's dead? Like, why would you do this? Why would you allow this to happen? And then verse 15, Jesus says this, he continues, it says, and for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there. I think this is one of the most difficult things that Jesus says in, in, in all of the gospels, that there's this kind of situation taking place. And Jesus says, I'm actually glad I wasn't there. And I'm glad for your sake. And part of me thinks about, well, what about Lazarus's sake, <laughs> right? What about Mary and Martha? What about their sake? 
But Jesus looks at these 12 individuals, these, these 12 guys who he's been working really hard to build their faith and have them trust him. And he says, I'm glad that I wasn't there. I'm glad that this thing has happened because there's something that's going to happen in you and for you because of this. That's how important this lesson is. He basically says, I allowed this to happen. And then in verse 15, he goes on. He says, I'm glad I was not there so that you might believe. There's this question that sort of rises out of this for me with Jesus. I want to just say to him, are you telling me that in your economy, in your worldview, in your system, and how you think about life, that belief is more important than relieving pain? That belief is more important than relieving suffering? That, that you would allow people to live in this tension because you want somebody to believe? Like, are, you would let somebody you love go through this, people whose names you know and homes you've sat in so that other people could have bigger faith. You know, this is in total opposition to everything that we wanna believe about God, especially in our culture today. Um, we don't have a worldview that includes suffering. In fact, most of us, even in the church, we don't even have a theology that includes suffering and yet it's so much a part of Christianity. Um, you know, pain is a part of the human experience. So what do we do with this? I wanna skip down to verse 21 because Martha sees Jesus coming down the road and it is days later than what she expected. And she comes running to Jesus and she says to him, what you have said to God, whether you're a Christian or not, you have said these kinds of words before. Verse 21, she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In other words, Jesus, this is your fault. We are in this situation because you didn't show up and you didn't do what we needed you to do. If you had been here, this would not have happened. And then look at verse 22. This is unbelievable. Verse 22, she says, but... I know, which means I trust. It means I believe. It means I have faith. I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. This is amazing to me because in this moment, she's standing in front of a man. And up to this point, you know, people were still trying to figure out who Jesus is. And she's standing in front of this person who's you know, 5'11", 6'2". We don't know how, how tall Jesus is. We don't know if he weighed 180 pounds or 220. I kind of hope he was more like 225 or 250 uh, but, but she's standing in front of a man. She's standing in front of a man who just let her down. And she says, I've watched and I know. And as broken as my heart is and as angry as I am, this is what I know. I believe God will give you whatever you ask. That's why I called you when my brother got sick. So verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha, she basically goes, well, I know, I know. And Martha begins to just sort of espouse Jewish theology. And she says something that Jewish people believe. She says in verse 24, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Basically, she says, I know Jesus, like what you just said, like he's gonna rise again. That's the stuff we say at memorial services. I know that, like we, we, we know this. I know there's gonna be a resurrection. I know there's more to life than just this. But, but then verse 25, um, Jesus says this, and, and let me just say, 
If you're the kind of person, if you're watching this and you, and you have just sort of concluded that Jesus is just a, a good teacher or he's a philosopher or that, that he was some sort of prophet, but, but not who Christians wanna claim he is. Um, let me just say that good teachers or sane philosophers don't say what Jesus says next. Because when she says, I know he's gonna rise again in the resurrection, Jesus looks her in the eyes and in verse 25, he says to her, no, 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 I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection. And basically what he's saying is this, you're right, God will give me whatever I ask. And it's bigger than that. And you're right, I am a teacher who's come from God, but it's bigger than that. You're right, I am the miracle worker that, that, that could have saved your brother, but it's bigger than that. I am the resurrection and the life. I am this. And that is what this moment is all about. That's what all of this is, is happening around, is answering this question, who is Jesus? Jesus is gonna make a statement, a claim that he has not made up until this point. In the whole journey of the book of John, we haven't heard Jesus say something quite this bold. He says, you are looking at the resurrection. You are looking at life itself. And then in verse 25, he says this, listen to this. He says, he who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then he looks at Martha and says, do you believe this? Do you believe this? See, for Jesus, he's saying, this is about your faith. And this is about your confidence in me. And Martha responds in a way that I hope many of us would respond. She says, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ the son of God who has come into the world. I believe. The thing that captures me in this is she literally looks at Jesus in this moment and she says, I believe even though you didn't come when I called. So in this story, Jesus asked to be taken to the grave and, uh, and they bring him there. And, and he stands out there and he's with all the mourners. You know, everybody's around. They're still grieving. You know, um, the, the Hebrew culture grieves very differently than our culture. And, and, and if you go down to verse 35, it's, it's the shortest, but I also think it's one of the most powerful verses in the Bible. In verse 35, it says, Jesus wept. And then verse 36, it says, then the Jews said, do you see how he loved him? You can just feel the tension in the room in this. But I love this verse because there's this clash. Jesus who can perform miracles, Jesus who's the resurrection and the life, Jesus who knows what he's about to do. Instead of rushing in, instead of fixing this, he pauses. And when Jesus pauses, what verse 35 reveals to us is this, that he is feeling exactly what Mary and Martha are feeling. He pauses and he says this to you and he says this to me and he just says, I know, I know what this feels like and I mourn with you. I know. You know, all of these miracles, um, if you've tracked in this series and I haven't been able to talk about all of them, but all of these miracles, whether it was the wine at the wedding at Cana, the, the, the nobleman's son, the, the man who couldn't walk, the feeding of the 5,000, the 
um, walking on the water, the healing of the man born blind, all of these miracles, there's substances, there's symbols, there's lessons, there's things that John is just sort of drawing us to this point. But there's this central idea, this moment right here, uh, even though all those other things are telling us something distinct about Jesus, this says something that we just haven't quite seen so clearly. And it's that Jesus cares. He cares. So regardless of how the circumstances might feel at the moment, Jesus cares. Jesus wept. So when there's all this emotional turmoil and there's all this angst, and there's all of these questions, like what's going on in the world? And like, what, do I have a future? And what happens if, like in the middle of all of this, what Jesus is proclaiming to us is he feels that with us. He feels the angst. He feels the questions. He wonders in the same way. All of these things are a part of this. Jesus wept. And then he does one of the strangest things. Verse 38, it says, Jesus once more deeply moved. He's just moved in his spirit. He came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. And he said, take away the stone. And, and, and they sort of respond interestingly. They, they basically say, Jesus, this didn't just happen. Like, it, like you're not just like an hour or two late. Um, you were four days late. And so verse 39, um, Martha says, but Lord, by this time, there's a bad odor for he's been there for four days. Like, Jesus, I love what you're trying to do here and I, and I really appreciate your effort. But this is one circumstance where it's over. He's dead. He's been dead. Four days dead. Like, this is done. It's over. It's closed. And, and so you can imagine the drama and the tension and all of the craziness in this moment. And, and so Jesus stands there. You know, she's warning and, and Jesus, he just begins to pray. And, and when he's done praying, he says this in verse 33. It says, that Jesus called out in a loud voice. In other words, he shouted, he yelled, Lazarus, come out. And the Bible says, and John says, and Mary says, and Martha says, and a whole bunch of other eyewitnesses say that in that moment, Lazarus walks out of the tomb. And if there was ever any doubt in their minds, if there was ever any doubt in our minds that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, all of the loopholes on that argument in that moment are closed. All of them are closed. And then here's how the story ends. And I just wanna share this with you. Verse 45, it says, therefore, which means as a result of this, out of all the things that happened because of this, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary, all the mourners, all the people that had come to comfort them and had seen what Jesus did, they put their faith in him. And so I just want to say this. I know this might be hard to hear, but I think it's also good for us to hear that Jesus leveraged a painful situation in order to show the connection between our circumstances and the development of our faith. And you know what makes the difference between whether or not we lean into God during these pivotal circumstances or away from God? You know what the difference is? Um, because we've all heard stories. We all know of people who, who went through something and they say, well, you know, there was this thing that happened when I was this age and I just couldn't believe that God would allow that to happen. And so I just can't trust a God who's like that. You know, that happens. People lean away from God, but then some people lean into God in certain circumstances. And what makes the difference between the person who leans away and leans into is that in most cases, the person responds the way that Martha did. In the middle of this moment, I just love the reality of this. Martha says, listen, I'm angry. 
I'm frustrated. I'm disappointed. Life isn't turning out the way I expected it to. I can't see any good in this. I don't understand. But here's the deal. And, and here's what, what she decided. And here's what every single one of us have to decide, regardless of how dark our circumstances might be. She decided, my circumstances do not change who you are. You simply change my circumstances. That's it. She just says, my circumstances, they don't change who Jesus is. Jesus changes me through my circumstances. So many times we think that the purpose of Jesus is to eliminate pain, but that is not what he promised. And I know that we've translated things this way, but what Jesus promised was life, regardless of our circumstances. What Jesus promised was hope, regardless of how desperate things seem to be. He came to see us through. That's, that's what he came for. I, I know some of you, you, you've lived long enough and you've experienced this. You know this is true. And others of you, um, you're discovering this, but pain and suffering, that is not the exception to the rule. Pain isn't new. Pain isn't an argument against God. Tragedy and pain are a part of the human story. And the people that I admire most they're the ones that in the middle of pain or in the middle of confusion or in the middle of a pandemic, they saw an opportunity to put their trust in God. Not in their jobs, not in their finances, not in how much toilet paper they have or how much bread they've got stored. They just said, I'm gonna trust God. So I, I don't know if, if what's happening to you is what's happening to me right now, but there's something that I've been noticing and I mentioned it at the top of the service. But all of this stuff, um, the, the stuff I normally distract myself with and, and the things I entertain myself with, it's not actually working right now. I don't know if that's true for you, but it's just not doing what we sort of hope it would do. All the ways I normally find validation, um, those things are being stripped from me. They're probably being stripped from you. And so... Yes, I've got anxiety. Yes, I've got questions. Yes, my routines are off and, and life is upside down just like yours. And I'm wondering many moments in all of this, I'm just like, God, what are you doing in this? Like, what are you doing? And, and it's like the deep stuff that our culture tries to ignore. It's bubbling up to the surface. And we have to choose right now. We have to choose to lean into God and trust him as our provision. And even more so than ever, we have to find our identity. We have to find our value. We have to find our confidence, not in our routine, not, not in just the way we do things, not in our status, not in our control of our circumstances, but we have to find our identity in the gospel. That's what all of this is leading us to. And I truly believe that in all of this, what God is doing in this moment for many of us is he is resurrecting our faith. He is growing our faith. He's inspiring our faith. So here's my advice to you. Would you add to your prayers? Because I already know you're praying. Um, but would you add to your prayers, God, I want to see you in this. Would you ask him? Would you just say, God, I want to trust you in this. I want to see you in this. I want to trust you in this. I want to see you on the other side of this. Would you just pray to God and say, God, would you grow my faith during this season? So I want to offer the benediction to you now. So if you would, maybe raise your hands to receive this. But may you have the honesty and the courage 
to face those things that are being stirred in your soul during this season. And may you lean in and learn to trust God. And may your faith grow at a rate that it has never grown before. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I pray that you guys have an amazing, amazing week. Um, This coming Friday, we're gonna have a good Friday service. It's gonna be live. We'll have some details out for you. Uh, In addition to that, we've got a great Easter experience. We're gonna craft something a little bit unique, something different for you just to try to bless you on Easter morning. Um, We're gonna have that for you. Have an amazing week. And I look forward to seeing you guys again next Sunday.